We've been to all four corners of Britain in our quest to interview the great and good of entertainment. Comics, actors, writers, politicians, singers, dancers and choreographers. It doesn't matter who they are. They've all given me their own take on the world they live in and have, in their own way, helped to define what makes Britain great. So join me and my assistants as we get another insight into the marvellous and enigmatic world of showbiz here on Beyond the Title. Making his Edinburgh Festival debut in 2003 with his one-man show Most Wanted, writer and comedian Paul Foote has become one of Britain's leading live performers thanks to his reserved, bizarre take on life. His award-winning Edinburgh show By the Yard in 2009 received critical acclaim and secured him a regular spot on Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle, which was broadcast on BBC Two from 2009 to 2016. I caught up with the man himself to chat about life, comedy and hairstyles. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Paul Foote. So your 2010 Edinburgh show, Ash in the Attic, was directed by Noel Fielding. What was it like working with him? Well, um... It was great. Um, basically, in 2000 and early 2010, um, I saw I saw Noel at a um, at a show somewhere, and he said, "Oh, you were brilliant." You know, I hadn't seen him for a while. I, I knew him from the early stages when we both started in the late 90s. And then he said, "Well, how are you uh, getting on?" And I said, "Well, not very well, really." And he said, "Well, you're such a brilliant comedian. You should." He deserved to be, you know, better known. So he very generously um, put his name to the show. I was to say he directed it. It may be a slight... He sort of... He did direct it a bit, you know. But he, uh, he sort of gave us a little bit of input. He, he put his name to the show. And I also got lots of publicity um, that I wouldn't have done otherwise. So he was a very, very generous man in that regard. So, and, so actually... Working with him was fun, and it was just wonderful to see him after all those years. And I haven't really seen him for a while, and uh, he's a very generous and warm person. And then, of course, after that, I was on the Buzzcocks quite a lot, uh, partly due to Carol uh, nagging them to get me off, and partly other people. And um, he was a very generous and wonderful man on that, as was Phil Jupiter. So, yes, he's been a very... Um, Good person in my career, has Melbourne. Fantastic. And why do you think Edinburgh remains a pivotal stepping stone for comedy success? I don't think it does. I don't think it is a pivotal stepping stone for comedy success. I think a lot of uh, comedians uh, get far too stressed about it, take it far too seriously. Um, yes, of course, it could, you could have some big success there. Um, but um, it's not like it used to be years ago if you won the Perrier Award that would really mean it would be a very big thing to launch into a television career it doesn't really work like that anymore in fact none of these places Montreal is the same I mean they're all good places to do but this idea that one single place is the most some vital uh, sort of some sort of holy grail some place where it's going to change I think it's uh, totally overblown 
So uh, I think, therefore, most comedians get far too worried about it and take it far too seriously. And uh, I, I always find Edinburgh, uh, the month of August in Edinburgh, the most relaxing time of the year because there's no travel. I just walk five or ten minutes to do my show each day. And a uh, uh, nice audience every time. And then there's lots of nice people to see in the evenings and have a nice party and just enjoy myself. It's important in the sense that I take every gig seriously and uh, I want to make sure that audience is entertained thoroughly. But I, I never worry about all that rubbish about, you know, critics and who was in the audience and all that. Uh, people make far too much of that, in my opinion. Interesting. Now, following in the footsteps of titans of comedy, such as Billy Connolly, uh, Spike Milligan and the two Ronnies, in 2011, you took your stage show, Ash in the Attic, to Melbourne. Now, yeah. what are the differences between Australian and British audiences? Um, well, there aren't that many differences. The Australian audiences certainly share a very similar sensibility to the British, because of obvious reasons, more so than the Americans, who are a different source of culture there. Um, one thing I have noticed is the difference is, well, two things really. One is they're less reserved in Australia generally. So if it's in Britain, uh, when the audience come in, they're all sort of nervous to go on the front row. Whereas in Australia, they all say, oh, yeah, let's get on the front row, and they all pile in. <laughs> I've noticed is that um, in Australia, there's sometimes, well, I suppose, but they take things more literally sometimes and they're sort of they're less cynical than us in some ways. And uh, so um, there's a piece of comedy I do um, and I do it in Britain and it's about uh, a man who runs a pineapple themed shop and everything in the shop is based around pineapples and it's a huge success. And then the man across the road runs a place called Guava Mania all based on guavas, and it obviously isn't a success, and he ends up um, uh, shooting himself in the head. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so when I do it in Britain, everyone laughs and says, isn't that funny? But when I do it in Australia, people often say, oh, isn't that sad? And they come up to me after and say, oh, it's so sad that he run a business, it wasn't a success, you know. <laughs> They're more, um, more uh, sincere in a way. Okay. Now, I first saw you on Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle. To what extent do you think programs of this kind are the modern-day equivalent of a traditional variety show? Well, uh, I suppose it is in a way. It was alternative. Of course, if you want the, the modern-day equivalent of the traditional variety show, is really the Royal Variety Show or something. Or, or um, you know, that, that is actually the equivalent and I've never been on the Royal Variety Show and probably won't or maybe I will one day but uh, I'm probably um, too sort of uh, alternative for it you know it's much more mainstream so I would say the, the, the traditional variety show is quite mainstream the, the alternative comedy experience I suppose is like an alternative variety show but sort of isn't sort of isn't because one of the things about it, of course, is that they wanted to have, I don't know how many programs are in a series, several programs and different comedians each program. And there aren't actually that many 
listening to the really genuine alternative stuff. So I think they had to have various comedians on who are not by any stretch of imaginable alternative. So um so I would say um I would say it, uh, yes, I mean, you could have an alternative variety show. It would be a very exciting, it's a very exciting idea, the idea of having a genuinely alternative variety show. But you probably would need more people to do it. Or you'd need you know, one person or several people doing, doing a lot more in each one. Now, in 2006, you starred in a variety show called Comedy for Connoisseurs. How did this help to raise your profile within comedy circles? Yes, well, that was the uh, real beginning, I suppose, of um, of me finding my own audience, properly. So, um, yes, I did a show where it was just um, in 2006 called Comedy for Connoisseurs, and it was just me whole evening and just uh, doing all sorts of silly comedy and uh, some and, and to a smaller audience to a theatre show and at the maximum of 40 people so it allowed for sort of improvised things and things that are slightly more just different things that wouldn't necessarily work in a, in a larger room and uh, that was the beginning I suppose of me finding my audience I would I would I would um, advertise and, and people would come to those shows and then that then led to more people coming to my theatre shows. And those uh, comedy concerts have been renamed now called my secret shows, but they still love, live on all this time later. And in fact, they're very popular with people on my, on my mailing list um, to come to the secret shows because it allows me to, to flex the muscle, the different muscle to when I'm on doing my theatre shows. When I'm doing my theatre shows, um, I'm, of course, there is improvisation, but I'm often also uh, recreating the same sort of story, the same sort of ideas each night, whereas the uh, secret shows are highly improvised. Now, to the pity she's a piglet, where did you come up with a name like that as the title of your tour? Well, obviously it's based on that... Um, play Tis a Pity She's a Whore which is a um, Regency play I think by um, I've forgotten the name, John Don or someone so um, uh, so I based it on that on that um, but I know really when I have to, when I come up with a new show title each year it's always um, sometimes it takes ages to come up with a title and sometimes it's, it, like, I remember once um, my uh, agent said to me what do you want to call the new show and I, I know there's a show on television called Cash in the Attic I've never watched I've no idea what's even on it but no I just said Ash in the Attic I just said it as a joke really and um, <laughs> and then to my surprise uh, found that that was in fact the title of my show that was my show I think in 2010 so yes yeah, <laughs> Each, every two years now with the new show time to come up with a new title now Russell Brand cites you as one of his biggest inspirations but who are your comedy heroes well um, 
I suppose I'm one of those comedians who, uh, who has never had a huge amount of influence, I think. Um, when I went into comedy, I'd never really watched much stand-up comedy, and I just sort of did my own thing and made up my own rules. I suppose is why it's become uh, sometimes different from what some other people are doing. I did like Monty Python and Forty Towers when I was growing up, and I liked Frankie Howard. And Tommy Cooper I liked, but the sort of clowning that he did. Um, and the rest of the time, most of the people who influenced me are sort of composers. You know, I sort of, I get inspired by people like Berlioz, you know, with their mad ways. And um, Bach with his work ethic. Or something. I just think I'll just sort of keep working like like Bach did. <laughs> now, to what extent has the phenomenon of stadium comedy impacted the significance of intimate entertainment? Well, um, that's interesting. Um, stadium comedy. I've never played a stadium. So I don't know what it's like, but I do think that stadium comedy comes different to theatre comedy because suddenly um, not everyone can really see you and they have to see you on screens and things. I certainly, I, I remember speaking to Sarah Millican and she would be famous enough if she wanted to, to play a big stadium in Manchester or somewhere like that. But she said to me she'd rather play a 3,000 seater theatre uh, maybe, you know, five or six times in the clock than do a big stadium and I think I would agree with that because I think that um, playing a stadium is a whole different thing and I think it loses some sort of intimacy. There's actually, you can be these very well designed three or four thousand seat of theatres can feel really intimate. Um, you can feel very close to your audience and they can feel very close to you. But once you go for about four thousand that isn't really possible anymore and so um, it's not a problem I have to worry about now. So I don't really, it's not famous enough to have to play stadiums. But I think um, when I got to that stage, I would rather play the theatres. Um, because I think different things work in different... Or maybe there would be a way of work making it work. It's a bit like when I was talking about my secret shows. There are things you can do in front of 40 people that you couldn't do even in front of 100. Even if all those 100 people were your best fans and they're absolutely on the same wavelength. It's just the scaling up of the audience changes the dynamic. And mm. um, so it could be there would be a way of making things work with a satisfactory uh, artistic um extent in a in a um in a stadium but that's not something I have to worry about quite today. <laughs> I suppose it's it's all about that connection that you can that you can get with a smaller audience with in a stadium there's probably not not a lot of connection whatsoever probably not i actually have some audience members who come to my secret shows and they refuse to go to the theater shows they say i like you in the in the secret show but then you also get people who go to both but yes there are, there are different it's doing different things so i think once you're in a stadium it's more like being on television in a way so you it would be a different experience. Now, looking back at your career, what is your proudest achievement? Uh, I suppose my proudest achievement 
is simple and it would be the same as for a lot of comedians and that is to find an audience um, who come to see me in a theatre and they're all on the same wavelength. In other words, I've found an audience who've got the same sense of humour as me. Uh, when I started, I was playing in comedy clubs and some of the people liked it and some of the people didn't. And now all the people who don't like it, I don't see them. And the people who do like it come. So that's, I suppose, to me, uh, that is, uh, I achieve, in a way, all I want to achieve by being able to make a living performing to people who are on the same wavelength and like my comedy. I mean, if I, I, obviously, I, I would like to expand. I'm ambitious. It would be nice to, to reach bigger and be, bigger audiences. As far as I'm concerned, I've sort of won the lottery already, as it were, by, by finding, having that audience. Do you think there's a lot going on right now in the underground comedy scene? Well, short answers, I don't know. They're terribly out of touch. Uh, I mean, I just... Uh, I, I I don't go to many comedy clubs, so I don't. Uh, I very rarely play comedy clubs. So I don't really often see the sort of grassroots and what's happening there. I know there are uh, other comedians doing shows in Melbourne and other things, and you know, other, you know, who are quite newer than me. I don't really know who they are, or what they're up to. I always just do my own thing. So I'm extraordinarily badly informed. In fact, probably an audience member who's into that sort of thing and uh, goes to that sort of comedy and is interested in the alternative world would probably know a hundred times more than I know. I just do my own thing, really. Oh, brilliant. Sorry, that's a disappointing answer. No, no, this is good. And finally, what's next for Paul Foot? What's next is I've more or less finished my current tour, Image Conscious, the last one is this Wednesday, Thursday, uh, and then uh, I've been working all, all done blazing um, on my new show, which I've already started on uh, up to two years ago, really, well, one year ago, um, so I should be working on that um, intensively uh, with my writing partner helping me as well, and um uh, get that ready for about April for, for previews and then take it to the Edinburgh Festival which is uh, a very good place to work in a new show doing it every night and then take it on tour around the UK and Australia for then 18 months after that Fantastic um, I think that is all the questions we've got for you this evening Thank you to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview if you liked this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time.